Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. And that's the big thing, too, with, like, self-talk, negative self-talk. Like, the way that we talk to ourselves sometimes in our heads, like, you would never say mm-hmm. that to a friend of yours. You would never probably say it to a stranger, much less a friend, you yep. know? And if you can grasp onto that idea, which is one thing that I've kind of had to do consciously over the years, just to kind of tone that down, because I used to be a lot worse than I am now, but with work, I've gotten better at self-compassion and it's so i don't know it's mentally quieting Mm. because you don't have to be so hard on yourself all the time and as soon as you kind of let that go you're able to really focus on what what's truly important and you know just live a richer life and today's guest if you have been listening to room nine is definitely the most frequent guest, one of my great friends, Matthew Oliver. And this might be the second or third episode where we did where we just discussed a book that we read. And today's book would be In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Dr. Gabor Mate. And if you don't know who he is, just look him up, G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. He is just a gentle soul and does a lot of work with addiction and substance use and all that other jazz. And he's just an awesome man. And Matt and I just kind of get into the book and talk about it and what we liked about it and maybe a few other topics and just enjoy it. I always, always enjoy sitting down and talking with Matthew and just recording our conversations. I mean, I I believe I even have a few episodes where we didn't even publish them, where we just sit down and chat. So enjoy this conversation. I will be talking to you guys soon. And that is it. That is all I have for everybody other than let's keep moving forward. Let's keep growing. I may be trying to do one solo episode a month. I'm still debating if I want to do that or not, but that's really the only thing that I have going on at the moment, and I will be staying in touch with you guys. All right. As always, I love you, each and every one of you. Have a great day. Enjoy your day. Learn from whatever is pissing you off today, and keep moving forward. All right. Much love. Peace. funny so this book by dr gabor mate in the realm of hunger goes as i've told you before i read it in um jail yeah i got it from the library it's awesome that that was in the library at jail yeah there's some good books there's some good yeah. i got a bunch of good um books in there man philosophy books and there's a couple of alan watts books i remember and yeah there's some good shit in there alan watts i don't think i'm familiar with him um. Yes. Yes, you are. You read the uh, the way of Zen, I believe, or something in rehab. Oh, that's right. You, and you get you're like, I can't. This is too heavy too for much, me right too now. Too much. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should revisit that because I might be on that. You level. should. And I should. I should give you a, a even simpler. Yeah. Yeah. Because Zen's weird, man. Because it's like these little riddles that right. are super that frustrate you until you get them. Then they're hilarious. Well, I got. But there's some, there's just some great ones, and it, they drive people nuts. I was just on like page one, and I was stuck like rereading the same sentence over and over, and I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna understand this sentence.
And then finally, it was like an hour goes by. I was like, I'm not going to get this. Oh, man. It's easier when you can look stuff up on the internet, too. Yeah, that's true. I probably could have done myself a favor, but... Because, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. But anyway, yeah, so this book is the only book, too, that I've ever read and, like, was crying. I guess it obviously helped that I was in a very <laughs> crazy yeah. place emotionally. I'm sure But it's setting. still such a great book. It is. It really is. I really liked it. Um, I liked the fact that it kind of has a mixture of, like, storytelling in the beginning, and then it kind of shifts over to, like, what his view of current treatment how we should be approaching treatment and mm-hmm. just um it's a really robust book there's so much a lot yeah the stories i mean you could spend forever on the stories really and i think for the most part i don't think they don't seem embellished or anything like that i love like even hearing him on podcasts and when i hear i've listened to some of his lectures on youtube he just feels like such a gentle soul yeah except and, and to do what he did especially I think he might still be working in the east side of Vancouver, but working with addicts. And yeah, I'm not sure. You have to be. He, um, the coolest thing that I took from the book, the overarching, I guess you could say, feel of the book is care over cure, mm-hmm. where he talks more about, he goes beyond harm reduction and just all those buzzwords and kind of brings it around to the fact that this is something that developed in every person over time and it's not just genetics or something that you're born with and will always have it's something that you can care for now and eventually cure with enough care i guess you could say Mm -hmm. the other nice thing is like i said a second ago he puts more more weight on the fact that it developed in you and not as much weight on it being a genetic disorder or anything like that Genetics, I think, does play a part in it, but it's not that simple, and he kind of elaborates a lot on that in the book. No, he does. There's a ton. I th- The first thing I opened up to when I was kind of refreshing over it the last week was, uh, and I don't think he says, it's not the chapter's not harm reduction. I think it's called reducing harm. Probably. I think, You're I believe, right. but he talked about, and I just want to kind of touch on the harm reduction part, and then we can continue on. Sure. Because this kind of fascinated me. He said, A, this is the only way we can go about doing things right now because the whole system's broke. Mm. This is it. So as far as reducing harm is, and he said his first day, so the east side of Vancouver he works, and there's this company, I don't remember the name of them, but they take over old buildings and run down buildings and make them, I think it might be a nonprofit organization that does it for homeless people and shelter. So they took this old hotel, I believe, in the east side of Vancouver for basically home for people who struggle with addiction, who mm-hmm. live in the streets and all of that other stuff. Usually, I think mental health, yeah. homelessness and addiction kind of are all go without saying yeah. when one, you know, at least when you're homeless. But so that's crazy, man, first of all. And he was, I forget what he was doing. I forget the correct title, but he was working like with a hospice kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he had his own practice. And he so he was delivering babies, stuff like that. And he got fired from the one job. Right. And then that's when he, that next week, I think a week later, he got the call to go work with the addicts in Vancouver. And that's crazy. So he said the first day going up, he gets called up for this problem patient. And oh, yeah. he, he goes walking into the room and he sees this guy. He's like standing on a chair trying to put a need to find a vein in his neck yeah. to inject something. He didn't even know what it was. 
and he just ended up saying how he helped him find a much safer way right. <laughs> right. to take this drug. Granted, I know he points out because I don't think legally you can inject for them. Right. But you can, you know, help them get set up and make sure everything's kosher. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Yeah, which I think if you're looking at it from the standpoint of like everyone who does drugs needs to stop doing drugs and you're looking at it from an abstinence point of view, a doctor helping someone find a good vein to hit may seem insane to you because that's not stopping the person Mm -hmm. from doing the drugs. But you can't coerce people into stopping their bad habits any more than you can coerce them into stopping doing drugs, right? So that's just, a, I guess, an extreme example of harm yeah. reduction. But in that chapter, he talks about caring for people so that they can live long enough to get to the point to where to they point. want exactly. to abstain from using drugs. And whether that's through methadone programs or Suboxone or clean needle exchange or whatever it is, which I think the U.S. is just so far behind so many other developed countries as far as like... We just had freaking Donald Trump as a president, bro. Like, come on. Obviously, we're behind. Yeah, we're very behind. Like, I don't know what is going on in this country, but it has been (laughs) embarrassing to say even live in it. Yeah, and the the justice system is one of the most- Law and order. That's who we still vote in. Yeah. You know, we still look at things like a choice. Thank God this election in 2020, many different places- decriminalize psychedelic drugs Ooh. in order to help like, like there's decriminalizing going on and but just even counties i think washington dc shout out to them i think they were a big one that did that oregon like we are so one. far behind oregon decriminalized yeah. like, small amounts of oakland uh, heroin and i know oakland cocaine. did it before this past election recently um decriminalized mushrooms and psychedelics and yeah and he said in this recent podcast um dr gabor Mate said that you know, obviously, we still think addiction is a choice because that's how we're still treating it. You still mm-hmm. can get locked up for it, and it's just not the way it should be working. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I think taking making small amounts of drugs legal the way that Oregon has done takes that burden off of people who are who have a bad habit that just happens to be highly yeah, illegal. and not even not even legal, just decriminalize. Right. I mean, that's a huge difference too, right? Yeah. Like, even if you decriminalize it, you can still help and take care of the problem. Right. And I think even if you decriminalize it to a point where you don't have the option of either getting help or going to jail, if we can reduce it to just the option of, okay, you have to get help, I mean, that's far better than what we currently have. Yeah. You know, and I realize not, you can't just have like huge change, right, all at once, but we got to start taking those small steps. Or else we're never going to get there. Yeah, people need to educate themselves. Absolutely, is what it comes down to. But all right, let's go through some of your um. Yeah, so let's your uh, pull outs of this book. Take a look here. So the first one that I really liked, it talks about. Okay, so it says, "What a wonderful world it would be if the simplistic view were accurate that human beings need only negative consequences to teach them hard lessons." So I really like that because it comes back to the view that locking someone up and giving them harsh consequences is going to change their behavior, (laughs) which it doesn't. Like, how long did I go in my addiction with all these negative consequences piling up, and I just continued to use every single day, Mm -hmm. despite all these negative consequences? Now, there came a point where, I guess, the pain that I was in was greater than what I thought 
the pain would be to change my actions. So yeah, I guess eventually negative consequences do add up to a point where you can change your mind and decide that you want to get help or whatever. But it definitely is way more complex than just give someone negative consequences and they'll change their ways. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't ever work. I wish I had that Mark Manson book, Everything is Fucked, because there's something in there. He talks about the actual tests they've done to prove that you know negative consequences don't affect people. Oh, really? Yeah, and I can't remember. Like More recent studies have been done about that. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense because it never works. Yeah, until you're ready personally to make the change, it doesn't matter what's going on, what's happening. And you see that all the time beyond just drug use. You see it with people who are overeaters, Mm -hmm. workaholics. You know, those are just two great examples of obvious negative consequences that result from your addiction and you're still continuing in it. Yeah, which I guess this is a good segue into... I wrote down his definition of addiction and what he said was an addiction is a complex psychological and physiological process which manifests in any behavior that a person enjoys, finds relief in, and therefore craves in the short term, but suffers negative consequences in the long term and does not give it up despite of the negative consequences. So craving pleasure relief in the short term, negative consequences in the long term, inability to give it up and nowhere does it say heroin or just drugs in general it's you know it could be like you were just saying overeating could be exercise Mm -hmm. like if something happens and you have to shut down ignore escape from it the act of doing something repetitively and not be able to give it up is addiction yeah and it's like when you look at it that way it's like oh shit every single human being yeah absolutely (laughs) and this planet has one of those things in their lives constantly there's vices yeah, and the the idea that it's providing you relief from something kind of gives you the idea that there's some sort of pain that you have that you're trying to treat. Mm-hmm. And that's another big thing that he talks about is not why the addiction, but why the pain, mm-hmm. right? So if you can decode that in, in any given person, you can decode why their behaviors are what they are. So that's another great thing about this book is that it goes well beyond just drug use and it gets into all different kinds of addictions. He just kind of frames it as addiction as a whole, but he's very clear that it goes way beyond just drugs. Which is so interesting. I want to look up these studies about the environment because, I mean, the whole thing about the environment influencing, having the biggest influence on who we are, and environment, which is really as a child, so much of that is your parents, your relationships with adults, which the main adults in your life would be your parents. And it's just, it's super fascinating to me because you really, I always, in kind of bringing back up the whole Zen thing and Buddhism, they always talked about you can't separate the organism from the environment. Like even in a, when you try to describe something, you can't describe it unless you describe it with its environment, right? And so it's such a trippy concept, it's a trippy like concept to think about that the influence that our environment has on us is like profound, I think, mo- way beyond what we think it is. Yeah. And he talks about like mothers who are stressed. Mm-hmm. He goes beyond like just like physical abuse or mental abuse and all those things that you would, you know, immediately look for the obvious in someone who struggles with with drug addiction. But he talks about just mothers who are stressed, passing that along onto their children mm-hmm. and then that causing brain development issues, which I think he uses it as like that um, an example of why kids develop ADHD. Yeah. But he does also talk about how 
ADHD is like very much related to drug use and drug addiction, especially in people who prefer stimulants. Stimulants, right? yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's there's just so many great insights in this book. And as I was reading through it, I kind of took my time on this one because there was just, it's so dense and mm-hmm. there's so much to get out of it. I kind of like, I didn't skim through, but I went quickly through the stories because those are just stories. But as soon as you get into like the middle part of the book and the end of the book, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's so a lot much of good stuff. Here. Yeah. Speaking of, let's move on to the next thing here. Let's see. So the next quote that I have underlined, another powerful dynamic perpetuates addiction despite the abundance of disastrous consequences. The addict sees no other possible existence for himself. So that I think ties in with the last one having to do with negative consequences. And just continuing on in them no matter what. Because we don't see, and I can definitely relate to that. If I look back on my using days now, it gives me like a very real sense of anxiety to think about the fact that I lived my life that way every single day. Oh my God, I know. But at the time, it seems I, so. I couldn't have lived any other life. Yeah. That was it. Like, that was my life. That was, I was totally fine with it. You thought that that's the only life you could be living. Yeah. And when I would think about like trying to get help, it was always such a mental battle to be like, but how do I not use? Like, <laughs> fine, I can go get help, but yeah. like, I still would have to stop at some point. And that is just like not was not on my radar as far as like no you know what it was it was always i'll be able i'm gonna figure out how to control this and use this moderately i'm gonna wean myself down and i'm gonna start using moderately when i was really (laughs) high was like when i was super motivated to quit so easy to quit when you're high yeah all right so the next thing i have this one's kind of a long one but it's a good one viewing addiction as an illness either acquired or inherited narrows it down to a medical issue It does have some of the features of illness, and these are most pronounced in hardcore drug addicts like the ones I work with at the downtown east side. That's where, like you were saying, that hotel is at. But not for a moment do I wish to promote the belief that the disease model by itself explains addiction or even that it's key to understanding what addiction is all about. And that I love because you have this classic debate now where it's like oh addiction is a disease oh no addiction's not a disease and you i don't know you can get really easily caught up in that because Mm -hmm. there's so many good arguments for both sides and i think looking at it as having a medical side to it but not that that's it is the best way that i've heard of to start looking at it because yeah obviously there's some brain issues there's some physical withdrawal issues you know there's obviously some medical Mm -hmm. medical side to this but it goes way way beyond that and that's kind of one of the big staples of this book is like talking about what he sees as and like we already read his whole outline of Of what what addiction addiction is is. but yeah i think not viewing it as just as a medical issue, I think, is is a great way to look at it. Well, he really says, and this is something I want. I'm was been very intrigued in going, kind of skimming back through the book and then re-listening to the podcast with Tim Ferriss. Was he's really like definite on the whole childhood trauma, mm-hmm. young trauma that you just even if you don't remember some of it. And the example he uses, I remember in the podcast, he's talking to Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss show, and he says. If I were to become, you know, violent or just very threatening to you right now, what would you do? And, you know, like at first, one of your options would be just, you know, kind of call me out on it. 
and tell me to stop. Another would be like to leave. Or he said, you know, there's other people in the studio right now. You could ask them for help if maybe you weren't as confident in your aggression, but you know, you'd find a way out of it. But as a child, especially as an infant child, and then even in your younger years, one, two, three, and so on and so forth, you don't have a way out. You can't ask for help, especially when you can't even speak, right? So you're traumatized. You don't know what to do. You cry. I mean, what does that tell you? Your diapers, whatever. Um, your only option is to stuff it, you know? And so it's like a very safe thing. It's a protective mechanism when you're younger. But then because when you're, this happens when you're younger, your brain's developing, right? And your brain never gets out of that. So you're stuck with that trauma as if it was still happening. So when anything threatening happens, you just shut down and you repress it. And it goes down deep into your psyche, man. And if you don't think the psyche is powerful, then I don't even know what to say to you because the psyche is unbelievable. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. Yeah. It's just dumbfounding how powerful um, the psyche is. And it can get stuffed down there. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the idea, too, that childhood trauma can come from something as simple as like having parents who argue a lot around yeah you yeah he says it doesn't child. even have to be like an addicted parents or anything right. it could be a mother like he was an example he was obviously he's from um hungry mm-hmm. and he talked about how at the end of i believe it might have been world war ii right yeah yeah where um obviously if he's still alive and he's not that old so he wouldn't be world war one but he would have been an infant but his mom thought they might have been getting taken so she left him with the neighbor for a month and I remember that was the example he used. So the mother was really obviously doing the best she could to save the child's life. Yeah. But you know, obviously being a child, you don't know that. Yeah. So it's a traumatic thing for you. You feel abandonment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks too about um, reading a book um, about like the Nazis and realizing what had been done like to his grand- his grandparents, Grandpar- I believe. Grandparents, yeah. yeah. Who, I think his grandfather was in Auschwitz or something. Okay. But he talks about, you know, something as simple as like reading a book and realizing what had happened to your loved ones at a young age had a profound effect on him his whole entire life. Start And for me, like when I started to look into like what could be causing this addiction, what, why am I doing this? What are, what are the issues in my life? It was kind of hard for me to put a, my finger on anything because there's not anything like glaringly obvious Mm -hmm. in my past that I like suffered you know what I mean like you know obviously I've had my run-ins or whatever but there was nothing that was like oh I my parents divorced or one of my parents was addicted or you know anything obvious like that was was not anywhere in my childhood and I had a great upbringing as far as I could see it Mm -hmm. you know from looking back on it so it was kind of hard for me to like put my finger on it so when I was reading about this kind of stuff in this book it was like oh it was really eye-opening to see like very basic things like your mother being extremely stressed out can have a profound effect on you moving forward and because your brain is so impressionable right at that infancy stage and one two it's crazy man yeah yeah and and my mom talks a lot about like having to raise three boys who were like very close together in age and obviously hellraisers. Well, it's funny, you know? dude, because this got me thinking about my son because he's had trouble paying attention in school. And I remember I was telling Michelle, do not put him on Ritalin. Like he does not have ADHD. There's right. no way. And but this got me thinking about how our divorce, how traumatic that was for him, because I was like trying to think how old he was, maybe six. Okay. Yeah, I think he had been about six. And I just remember, like, and when he first came up here after, and I was asking him how he's doing. And I remember he said, I just wish you would have told me what was really going on. 
Because mm. I remember asking him if he was angry with me. He was like, I just wish you would have been honest about it and not mm. pretend like everything was cool and we were going down there for vacation. Yeah. You know, and so it just made me think about when I was reading that whole traumatic, how much that probably has screwed him up. Yeah. Father of the year. <laughs> yeah. And that's like scary for me. I'm not a father, fortunately, but like it's, it's scary to oh, me. We fuck to, our like, kids up, man. Yeah. You're almost like bound to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you almost have no choice but to. And I guess that's why they say there's that saying, uh, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. You know, so ultimately if the more fucked up you are, I guess the more fucked up your kids are going to be. Is that the lesson we're taking away? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. All right. Signing off. No, well, here's 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 my thought on the whole thing, right? And I guess we're kind of straying away from the book a little bit, but that's whatever. Fine. Let's whatever. go with this for a second. Yeah. Because I think this is cool. What if, you know, the trauma itself, I feel... A is just, if we interpret it as trauma, that's all it's going to be, right? Okay. No matter what it is. Trauma, 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 pain, 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 negative, negative. But what if we looked at it like, you know, this is the universe throwing that lure out. Say, hey, come here, learn from this. Do something with this. This is how you become introspective. This is how you start working on yourself. This is the point, right? For us to grow as an individual. Like, we want to live a life filled with, you know, joy and peace and mm-hmm. Whatever. And obviously pain doesn't ever go away. Suffering doesn't ever go away. But the whole point is to go inward and learn from it. And then it becomes kind of beautiful. And, you know, I feel like that's the whole thing. Like the universe is throwing out a hook to try to lure you in. Like, come on, you got to go look into this. Yeah. Right. Something traumatic happened. I should want to look into why is this hurt? Why is this so painful? And when I, you know, makes you, should make you curious. But instead we get defensive and it's scary and we get frightened and we get uncomfortable and we don't like that. So we stuff it down and run away from it. And avoid it. And I mean, it's kind of common knowledge too, that like adversity in your life makes you into a stronger human being Mm -hmm. as you conquer it or you, you know, develop from it. So yeah, to think of like childhood trauma or like you said, whatever you want to call it as learning opportunities and necessity, then ultimately, I guess, as a parent, you can kind of sleep easier at night knowing that it was destined, Mm -hmm. like it has to happen in order to develop a good, full, fully rounded human being. You know, even my mom, I was talking to my mom and I brought up, or she said something about how she put aside, you know, whatever, as long as her kids were happy. And I remember kind of thinking, like, what if my like brother and sister, you know, had to die just because my family just kind of never sweated the stupid small shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, again, a traumatic experience when it can be used and not that it didn't give us all our fair share of problems. Oh, but, um, you know, it really brought our family, it, I can see it brought our family super close and yeah. tight where it's like, it doesn't matter as long as we can get through, I'm here to support and help you. Yeah. And, you know, that's a huge thing. I think that uh, you you can pull through negative experience. I think that's important to do. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing goes for my, you know, period of using drugs. I don't think that I would be anywhere near as introspective or self-aware mm-hmm. as I am now after going through, you know, however many years of, of drug counseling and understanding myself more and more throughout that process so would i repeat it probably not but (laughs) i'm glad that i learned from it Mm -hmm. you know i'm glad that i came out on the other side and you know first you have to live through it but i'm glad that i'm glad for what i've learned through it you know yeah it's funny man after thinking like i say it all the time in my mid-20s that's when i really became this introspective human being 
and well before my heroin addiction. And it was like, I couldn't ever do it. It just became, it became so heavy. And I'm telling you the biggest piece to do anything to, whether it's want to fulfill your dreams, goals. I mean, the first and the biggest piece and the one thing you can't do without is if you don't learn to love yourself, to accept yourself and to go inward and to be able to work on yourself and learn to be, you know, I sh- you know, it's funny. I want to say selfish, be more selfish in all tense of the word and all what it means because you kind of like once you start becoming more selfish and looking out for yourself it's in the best way possible you become selfless it's so weird but yeah well um, and if you can't help yourself right you can't help others that's the whole the whole thing behind like um going to rehab and kind of being okay with like taking a time out on life for a little while as if you're not well enough to take care of yourself you, you can't take care of anyone else. yeah and that's life. on the extreme end right even on like the the softer side of that you know so there's people who will just always say yes 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 even if they don't struggle with addiction right mm-hmm. it's like yes 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 and it's like you get stressed out and you end up building resentments and so i like it better said that you you can't fully and truly help people until you love yourself because i've seen people who can help people all day long and they're beat down and they're run down and That's they true. look like shit and they're worn out all the time but they just try to help people all the time it's like dude you're miserable well yeah putting their <laughs> putting some other yeah. people's needs above their own needs that's mm-hmm. a huge thing for people who are people take better pleasers. care of your dog yeah i mean yeah. That, cha- yeah that one in jordan peterson's book yeah take care of yourself like you would somebody you love because we don't, but I mean, I guess going back to the point of all of that was, you, I think we need to really work on developing self-love and confidence and because then you look into failures and then pain becomes something you can walk into with, right? you know, a headstrong attitude of, all right, I got this. What can I learn from this? As much as this sucks and I'm going to make sure I cry when I need to cry, but right. you know, what can I get from this? That's another thing with our society is we're like, so everyone's like so afraid to cry. Oh yeah. Isn't that weird? It's insane. It's it's perceived as such weakness. It's yeah, bizarre. But we all like need to do it. And after like trying to learn and teach myself to do it again, it takes a lot more courage to learn how to do that than it does not to do it. I'll well, tell you that. It's so cathartic to like just mm-hmm. have a good cry every now and then. Oh, it's like a good laugh. Yeah. You feel the weightlessness afterwards. Yeah. Why can't you share a good cry with someone the way that you share laughter with someone? That's right. I mean, dude, it comes up now. If I don't remember to like do it, mm-hmm. it just sometimes I can just feel like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to cry. <laughs> I felt that the other day actually. I was like, I can't even remember what the situation was, but I was like, man, I really need to just have a good cry. Yeah. I could feel it when I need some help. I have a few go-to songs, right? That'll just get it going immediately. Like, all right, yep. Watch an old Disney movie I'm or good. something. I don't know about Disney movies, but. <laughs> What's what? another one? Come on, get another. Uh, All right, let's, let's get another here. quote in. Or, yeah, I guess it's a quote, right? All right, here's a really good one. When truly sober, we look back compassionately at our addicted selves, and like the human boy Pinocchio gazing at his wooden toy self slumped on a chair, we shake our heads and say, "How foolish I was when I was a puppet." And it's funny that he references Pinocchio because there's a whole thing with um with Jordan Peterson talking about like the whole analogy of mm-hmm. like Pinocchio and all that. But I really like this one because being a puppet is a really good way to describe what it's like to be oh, man. helplessly yeah. addicted because you're literally being controlled by something outside yourself entirely. 
And the other idea that I really like in that is to look back on yourself compassionately. Because for me, I have like unrelenting standards for myself. And I have to really consciously provide myself with self-love and self-compassion. Otherwise, I'm just way too hard on myself. So I like the idea of looking back on your previous self or your former self with compassion. It's a very powerful sentiment. That is, yeah. I mean, that's an awesome one to go with because we were just talking about it, right? That's self-love, self-care, yeah, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness is a huge one, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did some pretty fucked up shit, man. Yeah. Stole from some have. stole from kids. Stole my dead brother and sister's jewelry from my parents and pawned it like shit that yeah, should bring a lot of shame, but when you can truly learn to give yourself compassion yeah. and know that you deserve forgiveness just like I would forgive anybody who did that to me. Right. You know, and that's that's the big thing, right? And that's the big thing, too, with, like, self-talk, negative self-talk. Like, the way that we talk to ourselves sometimes in our heads, like, you would never say mm-hmm. that to a friend of yours. You would never probably say it to a stranger, much less a friend, you yep. know? And if you can grasp onto that idea, which is one thing that I've kind of had to do consciously over the years, just to kind of tone that down, because I used to be a lot worse than I am now, but with work, I've gotten better at self-compassion and it's so I don't know it's mentally quieting Mm. because you don't have to be so hard on yourself all the time and as soon as you kind of let that go you're able to really focus on what what's truly important and you know just live a richer life yeah and it's really about balance because I love that I love my self-critic man it's the voice that constantly makes me want to do better be better, you know, be more creative, whatever it is, be a better hu- husband. I'm not technically married, but <laughs> sure. I get what <laughs> you you're know saying. what I mean? I know, or, you know you mean. brother, friend, you know, it makes yeah. me want to just be better. Yeah. But that can, that voice, if not dealt with and balanced out with self compassion, love, acceptance, forgiveness, mm. and all that jazz can become brutal. Yeah. Can just berate you, can make you feel like the biggest piece of crap ever, ever can make you feel like the biggest piece of crap ever. I'm just going to repeat that so I can edit it out. <laughs> and <laughs> But you know what I'm saying, man? It's just yeah. fucking, it, that's what it's all about. I think it's just finding that. And that's huge. And I love that, the puppet thing. Yeah. it is true. I always like, I always use the Venom analogy. Like, I don't know, the comic know book guy, Venom and, okay. and Spider-Man. Yeah. He has that, you know, he that Brock, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I'm rusty on my comic book characters, but Venom gets that alien thing on him and it's like controlling him, right? It's like we, as in it's a symbiotic relationship between the two. You know, we are Venom or whatever, and it kind of controls him. And that's what it's always like. And he's always, you know, Venom was always this character struggling between the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's just interesting because I remember that walk down to Christine's, man, that I constantly talk about all the time, crying and arguing with myself to do it and not do it. Right. I got to, I'm getting dope sick. I'm getting sick. I've got to go take this to pawn it. No, don't do it. You'll break. She loves you. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And just on and on. Yeah. It was a battle for, what was it? A mile walk maybe like, Oh man. Yeah. So last one that I have in here, partners, friends, and family, whether despondently or optimistically trying to pressure the addict to change would do well to remember the immortal words of Yogi Berra. If the people don't want to come to the ball game, there's nothing you can do to stop them. 
And I really just liked that quote, and then I liked the idea, like we talked about earlier, of just not forcing, not being able to coerce someone into it. And I just can't stress that enough. You know, I know that when you love someone, obviously you want the best for them, and to watch someone you love what looks like destroying their life or possibly, you know, killing themselves um, is probably very hard to watch. And, you know, I've had friends who I've seen, you know, go through that. And obviously not everyone makes it out the other side, but there's nothing that a person can do physically, emotionally, or otherwise to change another person. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, once I grasped that, my interpersonal relationships changed drastically because all you can do is change yourself. And if you can realize that and understand that, I think living with or being with someone you love who has a problem with addiction will probably become easier. And it's obviously easier said than done, but yeah. And you gotta, obviously you have to set, set healthy boundaries and you know, stuff like that. And you want to try to navigate that line between helping and enabling as best you can but it is totally like your life and you can't force somebody to do it no matter what and i think i mean enough said right yeah and it is tough Uh, i just did a podcast just released it this past monday and i guess when this is out won't make much sense but anyway (laughs) um (laughs) i talked to a mother whose son is still struggling addiction has been an ongoing thing for 15 years but she works with mothers who have kids and that's what she said we they become obsessed like that their addiction worrying about them that's what their addiction becomes Mm. the parents yeah you know that have a loved one that are struggling with addiction and it's like you have your own life you have to do you you have to still be happy and you can still find a way to live a life of joy peace and happiness with a child or a loved one that's struggling with addiction and i think that's yeah super important to know yeah that's a great a great view on it yeah so you can be there when they when you can truly help mm-hmm. um you, if they need a ride maybe somewhere or whatever you know but you can't force them to do anything right and in return when they're ready they'll come to you yeah which will make you feel great. Yeah, definitely. That's a big piece. Yeah, what a great book that is. Fantastic. In book. the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't know. Did he do a TED Talk? I don't know. I feel like he might have. I don't he know. He would have had to do a TED Talk. Th- that podcast on the Tim Ferriss show was great. Yeah, I only yeah. actually got like halfway through it. I got to listen to the rest of it. But yeah. I mean, basically, they're talking about that book. He brings right. up all that stuff, you know, and. Yeah, that was very good. But he's just an awesome guy to listen to. He's like I said, such a, like a gentle soul. He seems like he's very yeah. gentle, soft spoken. Yeah, very intelligent. And you can tell just so accepting and non judgmenting. Well, obviously non judgmental attitude he has. Because and obviously you would have to. Yeah. Working in to be good at it. To of be good Vancouver. At it. Yeah. Sweet. All right, Matt. Yeah. That was good. Another successful podcast. That's right. <laughs> Signing off, folks. All right. Cool. Peace. This podcast was recorded, edited, and produced by Room 9. Room 9 helps behavioral health organizations achieve clarity around their brand, their purpose, and the content they create by delivering a precise and clear path that will radically transform the way your company connects with the people who use their services. Check us out at room9podcast.com or give us an email at room9podcast at gmail.com.
As always, thank you for listening and your support and just being a part of this community. Talk to you guys next week.